0: It is the 200 level episode 112, Mike Carpenter here, and what a day. It's been a year full of days that have felt like weeks and weeks that have felt like months where there are so many things packed into it that you go to bed at night thinking, holy crap, did I just witness history again? And I think there's an element in all of us that we're kind of tired on one hand of witnessing history and feeling like we're living through it. And then on the other, it is kind of invigorating to think that, okay, well, we're actually maybe seeing things that we haven't seen before. To me, it it is always exciting to feel as if you're witnessing something that has not happened before. And I was invigorated yesterday. That would have been Wednesday, August 26th, similar to how I was invigorated in late May, early June, when you saw a reaction from people of all different stripes against something that is unjust. And I understand that this is quickly going to not devolve, I wouldn't use that word, but quickly turn into a podcast that while about sports is about bigger issues, that's kind of what we've tried to become in the last few months. But this situation in particular is completely uncharted territory. That's a term we use at the beginning of the pandemic. But in terms of sports, and the ability of athletes to protest, what we saw on Wednesday, August 26 will be something we remember forever. Now, There is still much left to be written, and there is much left to be done, and we will see this story with the NBA specifically unfold. How are they going to react to this, especially now that they will be returning to play? And I think the playoffs will begin again on Friday, August 28th. But for what it was, athletes saying, we refuse to play, it was borderline a strike, And I actually thought it was going the direction where there would not be any more NBA games this year. And instead, they do walk it back a little bit, though we will see what is a part of that. Does the NBA have to come to an agreement with players about being even more active in social issues? I know that LeBron James has spoken out about getting out the vote and started an organization with the NAACP called More Than a Vote, where they're devoting tens of millions of dollars to swing states and making sure that, Areas with black citizens will have enough poll workers and they will fight suppression, all that sort of stuff. So I think there will be action to come from this. But even as a symbolic move, it is something that we have not seen to that degree from professional athletes, multiple professional teams across multiple professional leagues all in one day. Some leagues handled it better than others. Go figure. You can probably guess what league didn't handle it all that great, but they don't really handle anything great nowadays. And it is something where you try to wrap your head around all these things. And it is quite honestly difficult to do because we don't have the context for athletes speaking out to this level. There was naturally going to be an outcry against it, as there was yesterday. But I think more and more, we're starting to see empowerment of athletes to speak their mind. And we are. Gradually chipping away, and I'm so thankful that this is the case, gradually chipping away at the idea that just because one is an athlete, or a musician, or an actor, actress, or whatever the profession may be, that they somehow can't speak on political or social issues. That's BS, and that's been debunked a long time ago for most reasonable people, but uh, (laughs) even we need to fight against that, I say we, the 200 level, because... Just last week, got another review that said, stick to sports, too much politics. Well, kiss my ass, we aren't. (laughs) I think that's pretty much apparent. And I I say that with not a lot of anger behind it, but more this exasperated, really, we're still doing the stick to sports thing? For me, a lowly sports media type, it it is encouraging, though, to see all these people speaking out. We got a lot to get to because there are two articles, one national, one local, that I thought really hit this uh, right on the nose. And I need to give credit before we even get into this to the News Gazette and what they've done since the George Floyd murder and how they have covered a lot of these racial issues and specifically in the sports section. This is a sports section I have maligned before and a newspaper that God knows I've maligned before. And Bob Osmussen, who a few articles back in the spring we were poking fun at, he has been at the forefront of writing columns that are continuing or I should say expanding the conversation in a community and for a readership base that is probably not similarly minded to Bob or to the discussions happening amongst NBA players, you know, progressive movements, that sort of thing. He is not preaching to the choir. And really that sports section is not preaching to the choir either. They are taking chances in a way that I did not think I would see from the News Gazette. And I got to give them credit for that because even if their readership is a particular demographic – they are starting to be more representative of this community in Champaign-Urbana, which is a diverse community, which I think tends to be more progressive than not. And you could say, well, yeah, it's a university town and all that. But I think it's becoming more uh, accurate to the representation of this community and everything that goes with it. So I need to give them kudos before I even get to the article later. Before I get too deep into it, because there is so much to cover today in a short amount of time, I need to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Now, students are back, and I know that some people are like, hey, I'm not touching campus with a 10-foot pole, but here's the beauty. DP Doe will deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so you can stay at home, stay safe, right? Uh, you don't need to mingle with the kids that come from CAMS or anything like that. No, DP Doe will bring you a piping hot calzone right to your door in Champaign-Urbana. Go to dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. That's Dough. Dot com. Also, Fourth and Kirby, online at Kirby.com. Great new designs. They had a football design drop two weeks ago, a volleyball design last week. They look tremendous. And let's be real, their entire catalog, their selection, they all look great because they're vintage-inspired Alani apparel. And the t-shirts are high quality. I got a couple myself. I'm going to buy the football one for sure. And they gave me a tease of more designs coming out this fall. Uh, safe to say that they have about four or five more things coming out that look great. So be on the lookout and use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off at fourthandcurby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. You know, this day and age with all the uncertainty, you don't want to feel as if your insurance agent doesn't know what they're talking about or that they don't have your best interest at heart. I know Brian personally, he's someone that you can trust. And that goes with the entire office because they're also local products. So they do have your local interest at heart in addition to their expertise. So go online to brianismyguy.com. That's Trevor's favorite domain, brianismyguy.com, for more information today. I've got to thank Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Those are the particulars. This is going to be one of those podcasts where, you know, it's about sports. Okay, so let's get that out of the way. This is a sports podcast still. In the absence of live sports, we have expanded the conversation, sometimes clumsily, I'm sure, because there are going to be things that I have blind spots about, or that if I speak on, I'm going to really be highlighting my inexperience with it. But yesterday, Wednesday, August 26th, a day that we will remember forever. And that's not hyperbole, though. If you're a sports fan, you will remember the news that the NBA canceled, what, three games on the docket, another three games today on Thursday, August 27th. And while they will resume on Friday, that is a huge step that I don't know if it's ever happened, just a straight up boycott of games. Now, this news trickles out. Milwaukee, they're the first ones to do it, understandably, after what happened in Kenosha, with the police officer that shot Jacob Blake seven times in the back. And all the protests and unrest that are going on in Kenosha as a result. And not just Kenosha, but you're starting to see protests rise up again in different cities, because this feels all too familiar to what happened with George Floyd. Different method of murder, but murder nonetheless. So, This all is unfolding yesterday, and the Milwaukee Bucks, they come out with their statement, which I thought was just perfect. And for those that didn't catch it, this was read, I think, by George Hill and Sterling Brown. And the statement goes like this. The past four months have shed a light on ongoing racial injustices facing our African-American communities. Citizens around the country have used their voices and platforms to speak out against these wrongdoings. Over the last few days in our home state of Wisconsin, we've seen the horrendous video of Jacob Blake being shot in the back seven times by a police officer in Kenosha, and the additional shooting of protesters. Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there has been no action, so our focus today cannot be on basketball. When we take the court and represent Milwaukee and Wisconsin, we're expected to play at a high level, give maximum effort, and hold each other accountable. We hold ourselves to that standard, and in this moment, we are demanding the same from our lawmakers and law enforcement. We are calling for justice for Jacob Blake and demand the officers be held accountable. For this to occur, it is imperative for the Wisconsin State Legislature to reconvene after months of inaction and take up meaningful measures to address issues of police accountability, brutality, and criminal justice reform. We encourage all citizens to educate themselves, take peaceful and responsible action, and remember to vote on November 3rd. That's where the statement ends. This is a well-crafted statement, not just because it tells you all the context that you need, but also gives points of action at the end of it. It says that the Wisconsin State Legislature, you need to get off your butts, all this inaction, you need to get back in session. It says that the issues of police accountability and brutality must be addressed at the level of state government, federal government. And then there should be peaceful action that takes place, keyword being peaceful, and remember to vote on November 3rd. And I hope that that is a chorus that continues to grow because I understand why people would be, I don't know about apprehensive, but I guess cynical About the way elections run in this country and after what happened in 2016 a lot of people probably feel even more disenfranchised but at the end of the day in this imperfect country of ours the best way forward and the best way to get progress in any area is to vote in people that will move the needle I mean elections still matter and I hate to see people become numb to that or feel like their vote is useless when in actuality it is very useful so to see this statement and the delivery from George Hill and Sterling Brown yesterday with the rest of the team standing behind them, it was a powerful moment. You see the NBA and the other teams all took that next step and said, we are boycotting until further notice. They did decide they'll start on Friday. That's a debate that maybe we'll have later because I understand why people would think, well, wait a second, what was this all for? You take two days off and then you're back. What what stance is actually being taken here? But let's not undersell the fact that two consecutive days of advertising revenue of money that this league needs they essentially said nah, we don't really need it or more importantly it's not that important compared to what's going on in the world so a profound statement and something that we have not really seen before and in trying to wrap my brain around this and think okay there has to have been something in the past where a team made a move like this and I cannot recall one so if there is one maybe that's a blind spot of my own part and not remembering something from the past but this is again uncharted territory but then it hit me yesterday as I saw a few tweets come across that this was four years to the day from when Colin Kaepernick first kneeled and coincidence I guess you know you could not have predicted that August 26 2020 would be four years today from when that happened because of a police shooting You could not have predicted that. But it just so happens that on August 26th, that was the first time in 2016 when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. And I started reflecting on the way that I used to talk about these things, or I should say more to the point, not talk about them or do a half-assed job of talking about them and thinking specifically to the first time on 93.5. And I think I was covering for Lon or I can't remember, but it was still J show in 2016 and having that conversation. And of course, the text lines light up with essentially different versions of if you don't like America, you can get out. It's disrespectful to Neil during the anthem. Here's as far as I went on that episode. I think I said something along the lines of, well, you can argue about the method, but you can't argue against his right to protest, which is not really putting myself out there. And I know why I did that. I did that because after a while, you know, I don't care how strong-willed you are or how much you can let words just kind of slide off your back, but you do start becoming aware of the text line and of Twitter, and, oh, I hope this doesn't get too much blowback. I don't want people to hate me. Let's be real. That, that was what was informing my inability to actually say what I felt at the time, which was, this is noble, and we cannot be the judge, jury, and executioner of how someone protests or doesn't protest. He can do what he wants, and he's doing it respectfully and peacefully, But at the time, again, I stopped short, and I didn't go that far, and it was an act of cowardice is what it was. Maybe it was partially influenced by the fact that at 93.5, the politics of the morning show and of the boss were far different Than mine. (laughs) That's the understatement of the century. And that when you're talking about job security, you don't want to go that far out on a limb. So that could be in a sales meeting, that could be whatever. And for the most part, I let bygones be bygones and not really speak up because, again, my paycheck might be at stake. You know, not that I ever felt threatened of getting fired, but you don't want to necessarily tick off the person that's signing the check. So all those things were a factor. Not Good enough of a reason for me to not speak out then I also understand that progress is incremental and that how I felt or how I would have said things in 2016 naturally that's going to be different in 2020 and it is it certainly is I progressed I've tried to listen to different perspectives and experiences and bring those into my own context about racial issues especially here in America where it seems like racial issues are just more pronounced than anywhere in the world. But yeah, I was reflecting on that and how my own approach has changed and thinking, okay, well, God, if I was still at 93.5, what would I be doing? Would I still feel as if I couldn't say this or couldn't say that? And That has been a positive about doing a podcast and feeling liberated to really just go for it and not worrying as much. And maybe this is just simply being 33 years old instead of 29 or 28, not worrying as much about, oh, God, I'm losing a few Twitter followers or, oh, God, what might they say on the text line? And just actually being honest, because if I were to stop short now and use kind of soft language about it and not really get to the core of what's going on, talk about an act of cowardice. I mean, this is the moment to have the conversation. We've talked before, back in the summer, we had Kerry Davis on, we had Antonio Adams, we had Ryan Baker in conversations about race in America, where they were able to tell their stories. And I feel like in this moment, with still a relative lack of live sports. And yeah, we got the NBA back. And yeah, we got... Okay, we do have the professional leagues back. So this is a little bit different than in June. But this is why I understand for these athletes, for these NBA players, why yesterday they get to their arena in Orlando and they're lacing up their sneakers and they're putting on their jersey and they're like, wait a second, I'm not into this. I'm not feeling this. Apples and oranges comparison, let me say that right now, but... After the George Floyd thing happened, and I first watched the video, I did a podcast on, I think, a Friday afternoon, and it was just, I probably just sounded depressed. I didn't really have it in me to come behind a microphone and speak on sports. I didn't have it because it felt secondary to me. And that's a little bit how I feel now, but not quite as much, because these are the athletes themselves speaking out about it. So it is very much a sports story. These are athletes, again, that are empowered in a way that they were not four years ago, certainly, and maybe in a way that they weren't even a few months ago. They realize more and more professional and collegiate, even though that's a whole different animal about unionization and things like that, but professional athletes specifically in the NBA know that they have the support of their commissioner. That's huge. And from the outset of this thing, have had a, an NBA postseason like no other, and not just the bubble. But when is there any time in history, a professional sports history, that we've seen a league coalesce around a political movement like we have with the NBA and Black Lives Matter? And the messaging and the branding behind it, you could question if every single part of it is in good faith. I get it because this is still a money-making machine. So it is okay to be a little bit cynical and think, okay, well, what's in it for the NBA? Are they trying to make more money or are they trying to boost their Q rating? I get all that, but at the end of the day, the fact that they have been this consistent with the messaging from the outset tells me that this is in good faith and that this is a league that recognizes that the majority of the athletes in it are black and that we need to give them a platform here. And if we didn't, it would be totally dishonest. And that's been the thing that I've been struggling with, or maybe not struggling with, but struggling with in terms of seeing other sports media types either go against this movement or maybe even worse yet, not saying a damn thing. And one example would be Clay Travis, you know, someone that, of course, goes against this. I've spoken out about Clay Travis before. Of course, he just cannot understand why these guys would boycott a game. And it's such a talk about cynical. I mean, that is such a cynical view to think that these guys are doing it for anything other than the fact that there was actual pain and anguish going on. And frankly, they don't want to play a damn basketball game because they are sick and tired of black men being murdered. So it is incredibly cynical of Clay Travis, but go figure, what kind of crowd is he preaching to? Probably not the crowd that listens to the 200 level. (laughs) That's for sure. I don't think we have much crossover. If there was a Venn diagram, that little part in the middle would be maybe a tiny sliver of someone that either hate listens to our show... Or hate listens to Clay Travis. And certainly you can add, you can move that decimal place over about four or five times in terms of listenership. I get that the guy's popular. But isn't it that simple that these are young black men and they all have stories? When we had Ryan Baker and Antonio Adams and Kerry Davis on, these are not exceptions to the rule getting pulled over having these interactions with cops. And even if you don't get killed, let's keep in mind, most of these interactions do not end in death. But these interactions, whether being pulled over for no good reason at all, being intimidated, they stick with you and they become part of your psyche. And you would begin to think naturally that, well, this country, do they even give a crap about us? And that's a pretty good question. I know Doc Rivers said it far more eloquently than that when he spoke on it. I think it was Tuesday night and the amount of anguish that he was feeling. We keep loving this country, and it doesn't love us back. And yet, for sports in particular, and sports media types, we're happy to go on the air and talk about these young black men and the amazing things they do on the court, on the field. And then the minute that they actually want to humanize themselves and talk about the things that really bother them, some guys are just shutting up and not saying a word about it, or they are actually being cynical enough to think that, nah, nah, these guys, why why are they boycotting a game anyway? Talk about a blind spot, not acknowledging that these guys, these NBA players may actually be feeling something right now. God forbid these athletes are human and that they don't really want to play a basketball game for your entertainment after yet another black man was shot down for no good reason. I say no good reason and someone could say, well, look at his rap sheet. Oh, look, there was a knife in his car, even though he did inform the officers that he had a knife in his car, but not on his person. At the end of the day, and this is what I find amazing, and this is continuing to happen, and it's troubling to say the least. You will find people trying to rationalize these murders, because that's what they are, murders, that while the guy had a rap sheet a mile long, and no, it doesn't matter. I don't care what the person did. Short of actually brandishing a gun and pointing it at a police officer, there was no reason to be using deadly force and killing someone. There was no reason to be shooting someone in the back. Seven times. There's no reason to put your neck, or sorry, your knee on a man's neck for eight plus minutes. And you could say, well, those are just a couple of examples. Yeah, you're right. There's plenty more. But unfortunately, there's so many of them that we lose track. And think of how these build and build and build in the black community and the anguish that they are forced to feel on an almost daily basis from yet another story of an interaction between a black man and a cop gone wrong. It's exhausting for me, and I'm not black. I don't have to live that reality. I don't drive down the street and think, oh God, am I going to get stopped for not using my turn signal early enough? Or like the, <laughs> like the movie Don't Be a Medicine South Central, am I going to get stopped for being black on a Friday? Which is a joke in that movie, but all too prescient now, given what's going on. But uh, it, it just seems like there are two reactions. One that is an overt reaction like we see from the Clay Travises of the world that are just driving me nuts right now. And then the other side of it, which is the non-reaction. That, well, listen, I, I'm only really here to talk about sports and I can't get into this thing. When on both counts, sports media guys that are talking about this in a negative way or sports media guys that aren't, They've spent most of their careers talking about black athletes solely for their athletic accomplishments. And that is almost dehumanizing that now we either go against them for speaking their mind peacefully or we just sort of say, I, I don't feel comfortable talking about that. Too bad. There is going to be discomfort in talking about these things. And if you feel comfortable talking about it, that might be an issue too. I don't know. <laughs> this is going to be A clumsy conversation, and these are some pretty tricky waters to wade through. I understand that, but give it a shot, right? And it is to that point where I mentioned earlier being continually impressed with Bob Osmussen and the News Gazette for what they've done since the George Floyd protest and how they've covered this. This is from Bob's article posted today. It's the most American thing to do. So I think you have a pretty good indication where he's going with this. The Milwaukee Bucks took a stand Wednesday afternoon by taking a seat. The best team in the NBA's Eastern Conference decided to boycott Game 5 of their playoff series with the Orlando Magic in protest of Sunday's shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. That's 40 miles from the hometown of Gian- Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> Why can I never say Giannis's last name right? Giannis, the Greek freak. There we go. The Bucks set a trend. Soon after, playoff games between the Thunder and Rockets, as well as the Lakers and Trailblazers, were also called off. And then, hours later, in Major League Baseball, the Milwaukee Brewers decided not to play the Cincinnati Reds on Wednesday night at Miller Park in Milwaukee with two other MLB games on Wednesday night also postponed, Padres Mariners and Dodgers Giants. Cubs outfielder Jason Hayward opted out of playing in his team's game against the Tigers at Comerica Park in Detroit, a city that knows its share of civil unrest. The WNBA also joined the fray, with players electing to not play the three-game schedule Wednesday night from their bubble in Bradenton, Florida. The boycotting teams are about to get hit from all sides. Pro police, anti-police, left-right, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican from across the country and beyond Everybody will have an opinion and be more than willing to share it. That's okay. The players have a platform and are using it, loudly. The NBA boycotts are a bold step by a league that is often ahead of the other pro sports when it comes to doing what's right. Genuine anger exists over what happened to Blake, a 29-year-old black man who remains hospitalized in critical condition after being shot seven times during a stop by Kenosha police. Those actions have provoked nights of protest and violence. Players and coaches in the NBA responded with pointed comments and tearful interviews. They have seen enough and felt compelled to act. Of course, some will complain about the, quote, rich, spoiled athletes, end quote, who will be called lots of other names, too. I will remind you the players in the NBA are people first. Our country got started in large part as a way of protest. The NBA players are doing the most American thing you can do, demanding change at a high personal cost. They are saying the money and the fame and the championship trophies aren't nearly as important as the citizens of the country. The act of defiance should be applauded. It's what we have often done as a nation, one of our strengths. We also fix problems. We come together in times of crisis. We help each other. When there's a natural disaster in a community, tornado, hurricane, earthquake, we show up in droves, wanting to lend a hand with nothing expected in return. Doesn't matter the color of one's skin or gender, as it should be. Hopefully Wednesday's boycott pushes us a step closer to long overdue discussion about policing and race relations, and hopefully noticeable change. There's more in this article, uh, something I'll get to in a second, but that's really the core of the argument that I did have in 2016, but again I stopped short, and I think Bob did a fantastic job of really getting to the core of it, which is, it is American to protest. I know that I've heard this from many people. I mean, in my life, and they've all been white, by the way. <laughs> and people I know and I care about, and I know at their core are good people, but maybe have a few backwards ideas about protesting. And the common refrain, I've probably heard this too many times account in my life. Well, who's got time to protest? They must not have jobs. That kind of thing, right? Whew. Talk about a dog whistle in terms of, you know, the the undertones of that comment. There are many. But listen, it is actually very brave to protest. And even if that just means a simple demonstration where you're walking with a large group of people down a street or you donate to a local organization that is doing good work in the community, you know, seeing people act is not something that should be made fun of. I know that I kind of did that with the Big Ten parent letters, and I try to caution myself in doing that because they were doing what they felt was right. They were taking action. They had a gathering. I know not a lot of people, but they still had a gathering that some of them drove or even flew into. They felt compelled to do so. Now, that's fine. It was peaceful, and they had a point they wanted to make. I don't agree with it. Am I going to defend the right to do it? Absolutely, even though part of it is silly. Let's be real. And it's not, it's not life or death to the degree that this is. And, in fact, you could argue that what they're arguing for may even increase... Health and safety risk and lead to potential death. Yada, yada, yada. We could get into that. We've gotten into that, but we're on the, we're on the race thing right now, which is no offense to the parents of Nebraska Cornhusker football players. A little more pressing. Couple more things here from Bob. This is creating a path. Don't be surprised if athletes in other sports start to speak up about our country's faults. College football players have let their feelings be known about racial injustice and concerns over playing during a pandemic in the past three months. Change is difficult. People tend to like things the way they were. But COVID-19 has shown shown us we need to be open-minded and flexible. If you are unhappy with NBA players boycotting, as a pop-up ad just comes here, there we go. If you're unhappy with NBA players boycotting during the playoffs, you are not alone. The world's best in basketball have your attention. They have your ear. Do them the courtesy of listening to what they have to say. We will be better for it. Thank you, Bob. I will guess, unfortunately, that there will be some comments on the News Gazette Facebook that are going to be a little bit unseemly. That tends to happen. There have also been comments I've already seen this morning in support of what Bob is saying. And let me be clear about this. There is nothing remotely controversial about what Bob said here. But what is brave about it is knowing the readership of the News Gazette and knowing certain ideas that still exist in Champaign-Urbana. That is brave for the longtime sports columnist to just say outright, listen to them. Listen to what they're saying. That seems more than reasonable. And I think that we can get on board with that. Moreover, the idea that we need to police how people protest. Back to the Colin Kaepernick thing. It was during the national anthem. You can't do that. Okay, well, I understand the emotions tied up with the anthem. I understand that there is the association with the military. I understood from the outset of what he was doing that, oh, man, this is going to ruffle some feathers. And it even maybe made me uncomfortable to an extent because I'm like, I I get your message But are you going to alienate alienate more people than you are going to bring into that big tent, right? You always want to have a big tent. But as time has went on, it's shown that he was actually pretty perceptive in realizing this was something that needed to be talked about. And that it wouldn't have mattered, to be quite honest, if it were the national anthem or something different. Him saying what he said back in 2016, however he would have said it, would have still ruffled feathers, Maybe not quite as many if it wasn't the national anthem and all the nostalgic kind of things that we have tied into that, but it still would have offended. As we're here in 2020, you want to talk about progress. The fact that this has happened, there are some people that would respond, like Bob said, saying, ah, these rich, spoiled athletes. I mean, even Jared Kushner, everyone's favorite you know, nepotism in action right there, came out and said, well, it must be nice. I'm paraphrasing, but this is essentially what he said. It must be nice to be a rich athlete that can afford to take a night off of work. Again, back to a very cynical viewpoint of it. I believe he wants to talk with LeBron James. If I'm LeBron, I tell him and his smug ass to shove it (laughs) because there's no need for him to talk to Jared Kushner. There's no need for anybody, really, but that's we could really take this overtly political, but I, I do need to stay focused on what the NBA did and the ramifications it could have. Kofi Coburn spoke with reporters today and was outspoken about it. T-shirt on that said more than an athlete. And that seems to be the common refrain here from these guys. Anytime you're told stick to sports, sports media types have gotten it. That's fine. We're sports media types. We don't have nearly as much at stake as a professional player that has a million dollar contract and could potentially like Colin Kaepernick lose that source of income. So someone says stick to sports to me. I exasperatingly kind of chuckle at it and move on with my day. But think about saying that to someone who is a black male, who has lived that experience, who has probably known others who have lived that experience, and telling them that essentially their opinion and their feelings don't matter. Shut up and dribble is what Laura Ingram said about LeBron James. Shut up and dribble. Which you can unpack that all you want the racial undertones, and I wouldn't even say undertones. It's just racial at that point where she's telling a young black man, get out there and do your job. And maybe that's cynical of me to view it that way, but it's clearly coming from a place of you should be seen and not heard. And that is just dehumanizing as all get out. And as I started teaching yesterday again, this is my third year at Jefferson, and I'm teaching sixth graders and we have a diverse school population and i could not in good conscience continue to be their teacher if i didn't at least in some way try to take part in the conversation or act because again i would essentially be saying the same thing to them uh yeah i heard about it but um i I don't know it doesn't really affect my personal life so whatever i don't want to be that you know and i i think that Now more than ever, now that the conversation's out there in this public of a way, if you felt uncomfortable about it before, if you felt like you can't talk about it, screw that. What's the worst that can happen? You stumble over a word or two, or you don't 100% get the nuance of a racial discussion. Well, at least you're trying, and at least you're trying to engage in that conversation. I think that that's important right now. So for Bob and the News Gazette, the sports uh, staff specifically, to do what they've done I think it's pretty remarkable. And I know, (laughs) I mean, you know, well, I say I know, uh, people that I've known for a long time that at some point have probably, you know, unfollowed me on Twitter, uh, have even voiced their disagreements with me uh, politically on Twitter. That's all fine and good. uh, But some of them have really packed a bit of a, a racial punch to it. And I also know that they are the same people that, God, I mean, if you live in Champaign-Urbana, you you probably know about this. There is a bit of an old boys club in Champaign. And uh, without painting too broad of a brush, it's people that have sort of become entrenched in a lot of the old guard media, uh, sometimes on the athletic front in terms of big level donors and things like that. And often... Uh, they might be the ones that say, ah, this whole athlete protestant thing, it's ridiculous. You're getting a free education, shut up and play. Or in the case of NBA players, you're getting paid a bunch of money, shut up and play. That is often the audience for Bob Osmussen and the News Gazette. So I say bravery. Listen, there are far more brave things than what Bob did. But given the context of this community and who reads the, the News Gazette, I need to applaud him nonetheless for putting that out there. That's on the local front, and there have been a lot of good national stories as well, but one in particular from Howard Bryant at ESPN, and he's a senior writer there. He's been around for a long time, I think from Boston originally, and that is a city that certainly has had its share of, of racial issues, especially with sports. I think the Celtics kind of developed a reputation during the Red Hour back years, and then the Red Sox took them a while until they had their first black player. Uh, this is from Howard Bryant, though, and this was posted on ESPN this morning. It is uh, the reality of Black Pain is breaking American sports status quo. For the past six years, the NBA has bathed in the congratulatory spirit of compromise, the model for commissioner player communication. In outstain, uh, Outstein, excuse me, the racist former LA Clippers owner Donald Sterling, both the players in the league could claim satisfaction. The player voice was heard so powerfully that for the first time in the sport's history, it toppled an owner. They threatened to not play in the playoffs if Sterling remained, and the new commissioner. Adam Silver, agreed. The commissioner gained the trust of the players, kept the playoffs intact, and employed skillful diplomacy, allowing him to tell his bosses he allowed the players to approach a line while preventing them from crossing it. Six years later, when an entire slate of playoff games was canceled, as players refused to play in the wake of the shooting of Jacob Blake by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, a different truth emerged. In surviving Sterling, as well as the faction that felt basketball was irrelevant, following the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, and that the players should not play, the league had simply been granted a reprieve. The Milwaukee Bucks walked out. The Orlando Magic followed. So did the Los Angeles Lakers, Portland Trailblazers, Houston Rockets, and Oklahoma City Thunder. The WNBA players walked out, but not before gathering and speaking and sporting haunting white T-shirts, each designed with a letter of Blake's name on the front and seven bullet holes on the back, the number of times in the location where the Kenosha police shot Blake. The Milwaukee Brewers and Cincinnati Reds, Seattle Mariners and San Diego Padres, Los Angeles Dodgers and San Francisco Giants of stayed 7.7% black major league baseball walked out. The two-time major winner and former number one women's tennis player Naomi Osaka pulled out of the Western and Southern Open all on the fourth anniversary of Colin Kaepernick taking a knee during a preseason NFL game and the NBA was leading it. In retrospect, the sport traditionally closest to revolution ultimately did not avoid confrontation during the Sterling saga back in 2014, as much as it delayed what has proved to be inevitable. The United States has come apart. It's reckoning regarding the police disproportionate use of violence towards its black citizens, sharply pronounced in sports because of its influential black population and the industry's reaction to their black advocacy, emblematic by... Kaepernick's banishment, but also by the hostile climate surrounding them. Underneath it all, the passive-aggressive questions about what walking out will prove, how people will never, ever watch the NBA again, is threat. Questions less in search of illumination, but designed to diminish the players, to question their authenticity, and disavow them of any thought of self-determination. There is no citizenship beneath their tank tops, and even less humanity. You're here to entertain us. No, you're literally here to entertain us. That's your job. Underneath that layer of threat is more threat, which is to say, you better be grateful there are people willing to watch, because if we don't watch, you're back to being nothing. The message, of course, is to remind these black players of how precarious their positions are, to let them know in case they forgot how thin the margin is, that one misstep, injury, or arrest, backtalk, or protest can put you back there with the rest. Never forget who you owe. Yet everyone in America knows what the players are feeling right now because they felt it themselves. When the pain... That lives down deep, rises up, and paralyzes them. Body, heart, mind. And playing a game doesn't really matter. Nothing feels like it matters. We remember from September 11th. We remember that from the Boston Marathon bombing. We remember that when family and the closest people to us die. We remember that when the constant racism breaks our hearts and then our backs. Going to work doesn't matter. It simply isn't that important. There is no doubt many people have felt it during the more hopeless moments of the coronavirus pandemic, where it's difficult to see a future around the corner. Before I am an athlete, I am a black woman, Osaka said, and as a black woman, I feel as though there are much more important matters at hand that need attention, rather than watching me play tennis. Naomi Osaka made her decision to not play after the NBA canceled its games, and within her words lie a powerful possession of ownership, both that she is dictating the terms of who gets to watch her and when and her belief that she will not contribute to the distraction away from where the American attention should be. In the spirit of diminishment, people have been quick to parse the analogies that a terrorist attack is not even in the same universe of a guy suspected of a crime who did not obey commands and was shot by the state for it because they may be legally licensed to do so. It is an argument to discredit the players without considering the concept of accumulation. There is no place in America where killing is more frequent more personal, and more repetitive than the killing and assaulting of black people by police. It is the pornography du jour. Shared from Twitter to Instagram to Facebook, thousands of times, millions of views, dash cam, or bystander videos broadcast so frequently it is possible to watch black people be killed, abused, harassed by police several times per day. It is disseminated by the allies who want to show a kind of solidarity with black pain without necessarily recognizing the traumatizing effect on a black person watching and rewatching the state kill them by the outrage, tired of being told America is post-racial and by the antagonist looking for an opportunity to tell black people they deserve the bullets they receive. But the one constant is the ready availability of images of black people who wind up dead. America has been fighting war for nearly 20 consecutive years, but military death is skillfully hidden from the public. Images of deadly force on African-Americans are as common as lunchtime. It is through this lens, the exhausted lens of accumulation, heard in the emotional weariness of Clippers coach Doc Rivers' voice and the quavering sadness of TNT's Chris Weber and the tearful broken faces of the Washington Mystics where the actionable choice was not to play. The most powerful corporations in this country has said these routine encounters have become unacceptable. Thus, it is not an embarrassment for the leagues that the players chose not to play, but wholly appropriate an exacting of the promise. The message players sent was not that point guards are now moonlighting as legislators, but literally their humanity must come first. That these black lives literally matter. In the weeks of the reckoning since the death of George Floyd, a sneaking belief grew in prominence that the moment had become co opted, performative, corporatized. The image of Jacob Blake being shot seven times in the back provided a reminder that this is not a branding opportunity. The result is a group of predominantly black men and women who have decided to tie the rhetoric into a primary demand. They will be allowed to be admired for their wondrous athletic gifts. But accompanying those gifts is their humanity. They do not exist solely for the entertainment of the public, especially a white public, that often seems to thrive on diminishing black pain. As a job, yes, the players provide entertainment. As people, no. This is the bargain. The accumulation of what is happening to black people in this country is real, coming at a real cost. The pain is real. The responsibility is real. And within those realities, the players' refusal to play has changed the deal. Unlike 2014 and the years to follow, the players have sent a message. For a public that expects performance while being indifferent or hostile to the bodies that live inside the jersey, they will be seen in full dimension, or sometimes not at all. I'm going to leave it at that. Howard Bryant from ESPN with an amazing piece about what this moment means and the emotions, the raw emotions behind these actions. I mentioned before that maybe I understand why there's some cynicism of the NBA from the outset being so consistently on brand with Black Lives Matter. But reading this article takes a lot of that cynicism away. There was action yesterday. And part of the reason that it wasn't quite as shocking is because the NBA's players laid the groundwork for it months ago, and really back in 2014 with Donald Sterling. Long time coming, progress is slow, but today, more than any time really since the George Floyd murder, it is another one of those instances where the games don't really matter. I mean, I'll give you a case in point. Last night, the Yankees blow two games in Atlanta and whatever. It's baseball. Um, this is life and death. This is a country that is in bad shape right now. And maybe like that cliche line from the dark night, it's always darkest before the dawn. Maybe it is. Maybe I can be optimistic about it. But there's also reasons to be genuinely upset and scared that if these fractures are not healed, that you are looking at a situation that you just can't fix, that you can, cannot put together. And I, I, hope that's not the case. I think there's still an out for it. I think that the key, as the Bucks said at the end of their statement, elections matter. And as we're coming off the heels of unrest in Kenosha, where a 17-year-old white kid with an AR-15 decides to play vigilante and is now charged for murder, and you find out that he was front row at a Trump rally, and you find out that the couple from St. Louis that was brandishing an AR-15 in front of protesters In St. Louis, they get to speak at the Republican National Convention on Monday. You bet your ass elections matter. And sports and politics are mixing more than ever. If you got a problem with that, you can go right to the top. Someone who has always put themselves right into these discussions from the minute he called Colin Kaepernick a son of a bitch, Donald Trump has been right there with you. So you could tell me, a lowly podcast host in Champagne or Bandit, to stick to sports. I'm not. But Would you say the same to the president? Because it can't just be for one and not the other, right? We are at a point where politics and sports are inextricably linked, and we are not going to tear those two things apart. And discomfort is probably going to be something that we all feel a little bit, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Let's roll with it. Let's try to get something done. And uh, kudos to the NBA players. What happens next with the NBA returning to play? Does that diminish what they did? I don't know about that. You know, I think that they can do just as much action playing the games and still being active in their communities. LeBron James, more than a vote uh, organization he started with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, I think they are putting tens of millions of dollars into getting poll workers in swing state locations and black neighborhoods to fight voter suppression. LeBron James is right there with the Muhammad Ali and the Jim Brown You name the athlete that has been political, but perhaps more impressive, he could have been passive about all this. He has so many things tied up in corporations, uh, so much money that could be lost, and he has decided and long ago that he's going to be active in this. His legacy outside of the basketball court, and God knows that's strong enough. I mean, he's on the Mount Rushmore, but (laughs) off the court, maybe even stronger, and that's pretty remarkable. You can agree or disagree with him, but that guy has done more for his community and has been more active than any sports superstar, politically, that I can ever think of. So it's remarkable stuff. Good for him. More than a vote. That's the website. You can check it out on Twitter. Uh, they're doing good work, and he's not the only one. A lot of these guys, You know, we sometimes just assume that these athletes are good at one thing. And no, they're humans. They have feelings. They have experienced pain and hardship, and no paycheck is going to make them exempt from that pain and hardship and anguish so if we don't listen to them what a disservice at the very least listen to them and then take the next step and act and actually help do something and i'm still figuring out other ways that i can do that it's imperfect there's no easy answer but you got to try because if you aren't what are you doing uh before we go i didn't have a title before this podcast started We'll call it more than an athlete. I'm borrowing, I think, Kofi's t-shirt. And that's kind of the key here is that I know we as sports media types, whether it be radio or podcasting, we get into talking about games and rosters, this guy or that guy. And we can sometimes make it very depersonalized by just focusing on what they do on the court. At the end of the day, I don't care what your profession is. You have thoughts, you have feelings, you have emotions. And in this climate, COVID-19, social unrest, race relations, everybody is feeling it. And athletes are not exempt. So they are humans, and let's listen, because they actually might know a thing or two. All right, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Dough online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices. They'll deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. You can stay at home if you want. Campus kids are back. I know they're getting their DP Dough action. Um, it's delicious. And I got to say, the thing about DP Doe that really sets it apart from other places where you can get a quick bite to eat, you are super stuffed after a calizona dp dough it is one of the best value things that you can get out there for any food place in champagne or Banda. so go to dpdough.com they will deliver it to you custom zones one of their favorites and the dipping sauce you got to get the dipping sauce that's dpdough.com fourth and kirby online at fourth and kirby.com new designs they look fantastic a football one from two weeks ago volleyball from last week more on the way a great fall lineup kind of i mean that's legit fashion stuff they have a brand new fall lineup it looks great Trust me, I've seen some of the renderings of what's coming soon. You're going to love those as well. 4 uh, coupon code 200LEVEL or the 200LEVEL for 10% off. And finally, Brian Hansen, your State Farm agent online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian and the staff over there will help you out with any of your insurance needs. All right, for Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, a heavy podcast. But stay safe, stay healthy, take care of one another. Be compassionate. This is one hell of a year. This is, the like, fingers crossed, the worst damn year. But I also hope, and I'm a little bit optimistic about this, I, I also hope that on the other side of this thing, we're all the stronger for it. I think we will be. Thanks for listening. Thanks for going along this journey with me. I love doing this. I appreciate the fact that you are listening to a sports podcast that will veer... Whoop, a little bit off the sports track. But that's what we got to do, man, because there are bigger things than what's on the quarter on the field. We'll see you soon. See you next week, actually. Have a great weekend, everybody. And until next time, it is the 200 level.